out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family and is sponsored in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Sad Men for Lonely Women, because at some point or another, somebody stopped loving you. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week, we inaugurate our Fresh Prince February. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute and just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. In which we discuss the oeuvre of one William Smith. That's right, Will Smith, Fresh Prince, all the time in the month of February. We're so excited to do that. The first film we're going to discuss is I Am Legend, based on the Richard Matheson novel. We're so excited to do that. But first, we must introduce the disembodied voices speaking to your brains. To my left, sir, if you would. Hi, my name's Caleb Masters, and what the hell are you doing, Dalton? If you're real, you better tell me right now. All right, Caleb, put the gun down. I'm real. <laughs> show, show your shit, man. Show your shit. I, I'm real, I promise. It's a fair point. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. To my right, sir, can you introduce yourself? My name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, don't just push your vegetables around. Eat them. Don't just push them around. Come on. All right, fine, but tomorrow you're going to eat twice as many vegetables. Now let me give you a bath. I would respond, but I'm a dog, so I can't speak. <laughs> Across the table, sir, if you would. I am Arthur Gordon, and... Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. You know, when you say that, I believe you. I do, too. My name is Dustin Sells, and I, I like Shrek, and I'm so glad. You just, like, <laughs> quietly walk into the room as your children are watching Shrek and just start quoting the whole movie? <laughs> really creepily from the doorway? I do that with all the movies. Is what are it, you talking about? I like that. Is that before or after that. you do the epic pull-ups of, of Destiny? I don't know. Yeah, that... And the silhouetted shower. Is that this or is that iRobot? That's iRobot. Okay. Man, but Will Smith really just want to show you how many pull-ups he could do. Yeah, he does. God damn. Dude. He did a bunch of pull-ups, too. Like, there's not even like the standard pull-ups. He's doing like the epic like... like uh, reverse pull-up? Yeah, yeah, reverse pull-ups, yeah. Oh, Jesus. That's insane. So, dear listener, as you might have realized, we're talking about this great zombie film from the early 2000s, and we're talking I Am Legend. Is it early 2000s? That's like 07, dog. Uh, 2007, yeah. yeah. Late 2000s. Well, who'd have thunk it? Nonetheless, we're talking this movie, Blockbuster Fair, and one William J. Smith. I don't know if it's a J or not. But I, don't, I don't think so. I don't care. And so <laughs> that is what we're going to be doing uh, with this film. Now, we need to warn you, dear listener, this is a review show, not an analysis show. So we are going to have spoilerific spoilerages when we get to the analysis section. So you have now been forewarned and uh, what have you and what not with that. Now, I want to say something else, though, before we get any further. February 28th, Oscar night, on Twitch, we are going to put together a live video show watching the Oscars, and we want you all to come join in the conversation with us there. So be sure and check that out as well. But uh, Just make sure. Uh, there's, a, there's a bet on the table, too, Dustin. Um, I we're all chipping in eight dollars, and Caleb's gonna lose, and I'm gonna win. What we, was that? When George Miller takes home that director statue, you better believe I'm I wait, the winner. That's one of seventeen, I think. I, 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 listen, I hey, listen, I've got I, the others. I'm not worried about. Oh, we're, doing, the, we're, we're doing like a whole pool and everything. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's a game. We're, okay. we're, all, we're all putting all right. eight dollars, and the winner takes home a Criterion film of their choice that meets that budget. So 
I want to I want to see if the dear, who the dear listener wants to back. Are they going to back me? Are they going to back Dustin? Whose team are you guys on? They're going to back a winner, Caleb, and that's all that matters. Uh, Caleb Masters, that's what you know. That's right. So do that and uh, enjoy that time with us all. But let us move on now and bring our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. But before we get into that, you might want to know what the movie's about. So we're going to start with the voice of the cinema synopsis from the great Arthur Gordon. Years after a plague kills most of humanity and transforms the rest into monsters, the sole survivor in New York City struggles valiantly to find a cure, Big Willie style. This one goes out to all the Big Willies. Big Will, the high roller, strolling through with an entourage. Hard to camouflage when you live in this lodge. I be smooth like the barge with a five-car garage. Big Willie style? I just wish they built... Doing a Big Willie style, yeah. I wish they built robots to fight monsters, is what I wish right <laughs> now. <laughs> when you say Big Willie, are we talking Free Willie? No, you don't... Big, Big Willie, Willie style. style. It's like his third or fourth album? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. Get get with it. We're doing a whole month about William W. Smith. You gotta... <laughs> we're just gonna change his... We're just gonna change his middle initial every time. William Triple W. Smith. Yeah. You, you've gotta... You've gotta learn your stuff. You gotta know about the man, the myth, the legend. All right, Switch. And I, I think what's interesting about uh, starting uh, Fresh Burns February with I Am Legend uh, is that this is like the apex of Will Smith. This is like biggest star in the world, Will Smith. This is where he's calling the sh- where, where a Will Smith movie is a Will Smith movie, regardless of who produced and directed it. It's his motion picture. Uh, so I think it's really interesting we're starting with I Am Legend because this is really like the last movie he headlined. When you think about it, I mean, look at his career after this. It's After Earth, which is really a star vehicle for his son. Um, which didn't really turn out very well. Uh, and then Focus, which is basically a, a much smaller film. I mean, he, he's kind of what? stopped doing anything post I Am Legend. Was uh, Pursuit of Happiness post or pre? I think it was, wasn't that post? I want to say... Right around the same it's, time. It's, I was within the, a year or two. Yeah, In the mid-2000s, he hit a real stride for, 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 for career success. So I, I, think, I think we're better to, to, to start uh, analyzing this guy's career than at his peak. So there you go, dear listener. You know that we all love some Will Smith, and uh, we are so glad to be talking about William Q. Smith and uh, I Am Legend. And we'll begin, though, with those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews of our experience watching that film. I ask you first, Mr. Caleb Masters. Man, this movie at times is brilliant. I think Will Smith, in, in, in the true, true spirit of Fresh Prince February, Will Smith shines through. I, I Obviously, this is a, is a star vehicle for Will Smith, but I, I really think... He does deliver well. He delivers. He's very good at not talking. His facial expressions are. are you just see the weight and the emotion on, on him. This movie puts out. There's a lot of pressure on his character as this kind of a savior type, uh, or at least he has a savior complex. And you really, really do feel the weight of that, even if you're really never sure if he actually is the guy. Uh, that weight is there, and I think Will Smith shines through. He's still funny. There's those scenes where he's talking to the mannequins that. Before it gets really uncomfortable and depressing, it's kind of funny. That first time he goes to the video store and he walks up to the guy and says, "Hey, there's a girl over in the uh, section." You know, I mean, that was uh, that was hilarious. So it, it is Will Smith at his finest. He is getting some extra teeth in there. He he is showing what he can do in those quiet moments when he's not talking. But at the same time, this is Will Smith, guys. The guy knows how to create some laughs. So kudos off to Will Smith. The movie, 
smells of studio intervention all the way, uh, especially in the last third of the movie in particular. And it definitely really, really draws the movie back. In fact, I, as you'll hear my analysis, I prefer to canonize the alternate, the original or alternate ending on the DVD release. And I, I think the movie, because of that, there's a lot of mixed messaging. Uh, the, the, the first two thirds of the movie is definitely heading in one direction and it gets really ran off the rails to be kind of fit that Hollywood happy ending in the first, in the last third, which I really think steals the momentum, but overall, uh, it's a good movie. It, it, it's a, de- it's a, it's a decent movie. Uh, I don't love it, but I think it's worth watching and, uh, it's solid. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review? Uh, I echo Caleb, I think quite a bit, uh, I'm not 100% sold on this, and so I don't know. It, it definitely is one of Smith's better performances and one of his better movies. If you look, we talked about this off air at his filmography. A lot of stinkers in there that aren't just yeah. That he's solid. got he's got some bad movies in his filmography, and so I think this is definitely in the upper echelon of his oeuvre, uh, if you want to get technical with it. Um, but I'm not sure that I love it. Uh, it is solid. Uh, things about it work for me. Uh, the emotional stuff works. The story with Sam, which is just kills me because I'm a dog person. Uh, and so that really works for me. Uh, I think the atmosphere, the tone are really well good. Um, I think of, I like a lot of what's going on and a lot of the ideas that are presented here. Um, I hate, hate, hate the over-reliance on CGI. No. I think it looks oh, yeah. terrible uh, in any of the forms of the dogs, the humans, the wildlife, all of it. It looks disgusting. The car. Yeah, I, I I do not like any of that. The deer. I mean, everything. Well, yeah. and, and certain uh, aspects of it are understandable because they have to make it look like Times Square is completely abandoned and overgrown. Yeah. So uh, there, there's... A, and, I, and I think the the background stuff, the establishing shot CGI works really well. Um, but yeah, the, the flora and fauna, you're right, Arthur. It just does not look good. Yeah, that, that kills it for me, I think. And, and especially in 2007 with the budget this movie had. But anyway, um, I... It just kind of feels flat for me at times, and mm-hmm. there's just something there that I'm not able to articulate about it that I, it just pulls it back for me. All righty. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. And now, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say about this film in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review? I, I, I mean, I'm pretty well in line with uh, what's been said already. I, I actually remember really disliking this movie. Um Revisiting it for the show, I, Will Smith's performance in this movie is absolutely outstanding. I mean, it is probably one of his best performances. Um, and, I, and I can see why he wanted to do it. I mean, it, it gives him a lot of room to stretch his legs. Um, by all accounts, Will Smith is a very nice man. Um, but there is also does seem to be a, a certain amount of ego with him, um, just based on a part, part of his persona. Um, and I think that's why... Uh, a movie just about him works really well because he doesn't have to work with anyone else. And I, I'm not trying to, to dog on him, um, but you, you hear things about films that he's worked on. Um, and there does be a later in his career, I, I should specify. But I, I, I think this is kind of the perfect vehicle for him. Um, he is amazing. He is so good in this movie. Like it, it is astonishing how good. this movie could have been great. There is a great blockbuster film hiding somewhere in I Am Legend. It's not the movie we got. Um, I would agree with Arthur. The special effects in this movie are absolute dog shit. Uh, they didn't look good in two thousand and seven. They don't look good in twenty sixteen either. Um, the 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 infected, the dark seekers, which is a stupid name. Um, the the zompires, as I'm going to call them. Um, they just look bad. They look really, really bad. And I don't know how they could have been done better, but 
the way they're done doesn't really work for me. Uh, here's the thing, though. They are used very well. Um, they only come up a few times. Uh, we mostly hear we hear them in this movie more than we see them, which I think is really effective. Uh, the scene where Sam uh, runs into the abandoned building chasing the deer, um, and he's sneaking through this dark building trying to find his dog is so well-paced and shot and cut. It is... So tense. It's probably one of the scariest things I've ever seen in a $100 million plus movie. It is an actively unnerving and very effective suspense. Uh, I would even go as far as call it a horror scene. I mean, it is quite scary. Um, But then we see the CGI monsters that are lurking in the shadows and they look like shit. So that's kind of a problem. Um, Overall, it it doesn't work for me. Uh, I like a lot about it, but I, I would say I dislike more about it than I like. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. You people are insane. This movie is fantastic. It is so much fun. It is 90 minutes of adrenaline. I never, ever let go from like the edge of my... 30 minutes. I don't care. It feels like 90 minutes. That's how awesome it is. And uh, Will Smith's performance, as you say, is brilliant. Yeah, it's a great performance. When the dog does what the dog does, I wept. When, oh, man, don't even bring the dog When he up. speaks to yeah. the mannequin and says, please speak to me, please say hello to me, I cried like a wee girl for the... 35th time? I don't even know how many times I've seen this movie. It's excellent. I love it a, so much. A good performance doesn't make a good movie, though, Dustin. No, it's a, no, it, well, it can help it. It, it does. It, it makes it a better movie, and, but it doesn't make it a I good for, movie. I will forgive all the CG. I will forgive all the things. It's it's all the things I like. It's vampires, and it's zombies. It's Richard Matheson, and it's Will Smith, and it's so much fun. And I laugh because there are Shrek jokes and uh, there's this weird monologue he keeps having with his dog about his birthday and having a birthday party planned for him. That's, so, that's really it's, funny. It's so stinking good. I have so much fun when I watch this movie every single time. It's it's one of my favorite blockbusters in the history of blockbusters. Yeah, I've known. Dun, I'm pretty sure I've known Dustin longer than everyone at this table. And ever since I met Dustin, he has been preaching. I am legend. That's correct. Would you say this is your favorite Will Smith movie? Um, I wouldn't say I have a favorite Will Smith movie because I don't like Will Smith movies overall. Really? No. Well, if you don't like them overall, this one should be your favorite then. Yeah. It well, would, it I would... mean, no, probably not. Tell the truth! <laughs> <laughs> the good news is, dear listener, I have a host pick coming up later and maybe my favorite Will Smith movie might come up there. Okay. But moving right along. Now, you know our biases, they are generally negative, although they're wrong and the pro one is correct. We're going to move on, though. I would say mixed to positive more than negative. Before we get to our analysis, dear listener, we're going to play our game. Time. That's right, dear listener, we're going to play the game of our favorite star vehicles. Uh, That's right, favorite star vehicles, brought to you by I Am Legend. Will I Am Legend. Anyhow, we're going to play that game right now, which is our (laughs) favorite star vehicles. I'm going to ask you, Arthur Gordon, what's your favorite star vehicles? Yeah, I'll kick it off with a little Steven Soderbergh flick called Haywire. Starring Gina Carano. Yeah. Uh, oh, good pick. With a whole bunch of other awesome people involved, including Michael Fassbender and balls to the wall action and fighting, which is his, a, his fight scene is so good. Oh, yeah. D- don't, don't forget Ewan McGregor. Oh, yeah. Ewan, Ewan McGregor. McGregor. I mean, it's Channing Tatum. Yeah, it's just a list of, oh, of awesome, awesome people Bill showing up. Fucking Pullman. Yeah. Oh, Paxton. Paxton. Sorry. Yeah. I always do that. Either one, really, at this point in the game. Game over, man. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of fun. And I, I, I really enjoy it because. Something Soderbergh does a lot. He's very experimental in the choices he makes sometimes. We saw the girlfriend experience with uh, Sasha Gray, mm-hmm. and then he did Magic Mike with uh, Channing Tatum. And there are all these kind of star vehicle things where he's experimenting with these different characters and different actors and the 
backgrounds that they have and how that could translate to film, I think it comes up with some uh, very interesting concepts, even though they may not always work. Uh, but next one, though, is going to be one that uh, came up on last week's show, and that is The Rundown, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, yes. uh, which is just a really fun action movie that we have to visit sometime on the show because it's just so much fun. That movie's a lot of fun. Uh, so it much fun. really shows off uh, what The Rock is going to be capable of doing as an action star. It's kind of a shame that uh, The Rock's uh, career didn't take off as quick as it, it should have. Yeah, it took no. a little while. Because he had The Scorpion King. That was going to be his big break. Well, he, he was in The Mummy 2, and that was like, The Rock is yeah. here as a movie star. And they had a spinoff movie, The Scorpion King, which is a big piece of shit. They did Be Cool. Which is not also not good. Yeah, but then he did you know the rundown and and walking tall and was like this is new the new Arnold Schwarzenegger like be excited and it just took him a, it took a several while. years. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer because he's amazing. Yeah, he's he is. absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, the last one though, uh, just to give a throwback because talking star vehicles, you got to talk about the studio era. And because that was kind of a that was what a lot of uh, those films were based around, and I want to mention uh, Audrey Hepburn in Sabrina, oh, uh, directed by Billy Wilder, uh, which was his last film at Paramount uh, with Humphrey Bogart and William Holden, and it's just a lot of fun. Uh, it's just really kind of a cute, uh, charming movie that is just really enjoyable and really kind of helped to continue the rise of Hepburn uh, in that era. Excellent picks, very much. I love them all, Mister Arthur Gordon, Mister. Caleb Masters, All right, what well, are your favorite vehicles? Well, speaking of The Rock, I'm just going to go ahead and piggyback. And you know what, Dalton? I don't agree. The Scorpion King launched that, relaunched that man's career. Well, he's had a few relaunches, to be fair. But, I mean, that movie's not good, but, man, it's fun. Listen, this man cameoed in The Mummy Returns only to get his own spinoff movie as the main guy in The Scorpion King. Is that movie good? Hell no, it's not good, but it's lots and lots and lots of fun. I, I, I really enjoy it, and as that, that really is the beginning of the career that was The Rock, uh, I, I think, anyway. Uh, secondly, uh, Buried for Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, poor guy. I mean, it is a vehicle for him, but it didn't work, unfortunately. That Ryan Reynolds has had a, a history of not su- getting successful hits. Buried is incredible. That is Almost, that's more than an hour and a half, shy of two hours, of a one man trapped in a in a coffin buried underground, and I was engaged the entire time. That takes some terrific acting and some great writing, and Ryan Reynolds sells the heck out of that movie. I, it's a real bummer that his career, his dramatic career, did not did not take off. Yeah, him that and film. him and Bradley Cooper have. I, I read a think piece a while back about how they uh, swap places as Hollywood's go to generically handsome white guy. And like how, uh, as Bradley Cooper's star was on the rise, Ryan Reynolds was on the decline. Correct. They, like met in the middle. It's a really interesting article. You should, article I, I recommend everyone read. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out because that's that is, it could, because Ryan Reynolds for the early 2000s was the guy. He, he yeah. was he was going to be the next movie star, and for some reason I just I don't know if it's bad luck because he was in a lot of flops consec- consecutive. Flops. I think that's what it was because he has. You're you're right, Caleb. He has so much charisma and r- real chops. Like uh, he, you know, in the right roles. He he's really good. Uh, it's, last year's voices. Um, oh yeah, he was really great in that. Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, I want to go to uh, the Born trilogy for Matt Damon. Now, yeah. Matt Damon did not need Matt Damon did not need the Born trilogy to be a successful actor, but it did establish him as being a potential action movie star. And while yes, the Born movies are a lot more than just uh, an acting fest, that movie is an action hero in those films, and it's really lots of fun. 
it's a, it's more or less a vehicle for his his potential as an action hero, less so an actor. But I think he does a great job. I definitely like the first two a lot more than I like the third one. But if you want to look at uh, a guy who goes from dramatic, who's trying to prove that he can be, uh, you know, the next Arnold Schwarzenegger or the next James Bond as an actor, I think you check out the the Bourne trilogy. Excellent, excellent. I love those picks very much, Mister Caleb Masters, Mister Dalton Stewart. What are your selections for favorite star vehicle? Well, I actually um. I thought mostly about actors who have really, for the latter part of their career, only had star vehicles, um, which I think was just kind of where I went with this. I do really want to quickly uh, take, give a shout out to um, the earliest movie. I, Arthur went way back uh, further than I could, uh, and I think part of that is uh, Arthur, your knowledge of the history of Hollywood. Um, my, my knowledge of Hollywood history stops right around New Hollywood. I don't really know. And that's just a failing on my part. Uh, the earliest I went back was um, Raging Bull, which um, the Martin Scorsese film. Which, when you think about it, uh, and I don't know if it was marketed as a as a um, star vehicle for De Niro when it came out, but you look at the the materials, the posters for Raging Bull, it's all tight close-ups on De Niro's face, uh, and it, and it feels like what what the Revenant feels like now. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can almost. You know, not being uh, alive in 1980, uh, and certainly not following film in 1980 uh, because I wasn't alive yet. Don't don't give me that look. I you yes, you were alive in 1980. You weren't following film in 1980. That's that's my real point. Uh, so I don't know what the marketing. I was just editing film in 1980. <clears throat> yeah, you weren't. L- listen to what I'm saying, Dustin. I, I get it. come off your high horse. Uh, just listen to what I'm saying. The whole marketing right now, but behind the Revenant is how hard it was for Leo to to be in it. Uh, which doesn't necessarily make a performance good. Um, it's just part of myth-making. Uh, but and I can almost imagine Raging Bull having the same thing because De Niro learned how to box for that movie. He, had, he got really, really, really in shape and then got fat. Um, you know, he, he did all these physically laborious, him and... Um, Pesci? Pesci, Joe Pesci. Him and Joe Pesci actually hit each other in the scenes where they hit each other. So you can really kind of picture the marketing behind this film circa 1980, 1981, when it was leading up to award season. So to my mind, that was the first star vehicle I could think of. I thought about Taxi Driver, but, you know, De Niro wasn't the biggest, one of the biggest stars in the world quite yet. Uh, but by 1980, he was a household name. So I think, I think that's, for, for me, a, a, a really great movie. Um, but, you know, you don't think of that kind of film when you think of star vehicles. But I, I think even something like The Revenant is really, in a lot of ways, still a star vehicle. Um, but I thought about three actors whose careers uh, have almost explicitly consisted of star vehicles, and that is uh, Denzel Washington, um, Tom Cruise, uh, and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, the, the three of them have pretty much, for the last 10, 15, almost 20 years, had nothing but star vehicles. I mean, you look at Tom Cruise's career post uh, Days of Thunder and onward, I mean, it's just movies that are Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise in X movie. Um, you think, I don't know what, Predator, maybe even early as, um, no, I'd say probably right around, well, probably right after Terminator. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger in blank. Uh, Denzel has had his name above the title since, what, Glory? Uh, just after Glory? I mean, right around that time when he became icon, like fearless, um, just virtuoso. Uh, and specifically for each of them, I thought about Flight, um, Total Recall, and um, Edge of Tomorrow just because those are three movies from those actors that I really like a lot. So that was kind of what I thought of. Uh, and yeah, God, I love all those movies. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Dear listener, we'd love to hear your picks for favorite star vehicles, and we'd love to hear what your selections may be about all of that. Let's move on, though, because I feel like it might just be business time. 
I see you over there brushing your teeth, Caleb. That's called foreplay. It's important to the analysis. I do like the foreplay. So now we're going to bring that analysis to you, dear listener. I know you've been waiting on bated breath to hear what we got to say about I Am Legend. Mr. Dalton Stewart, kick us off. I don't know if that's true. Um, listener, if you've been waiting on bated breath, I'm very sorry. Like, calm down. It's going to be okay. We're going to get there together. Um, I want to talk about why the theatrical cut of this movie is just a big old bag of hog shit. Um, so famously, uh, when I Am Legend was released on home media, um, this would have been, would this have been pre-Blu-ray, Arthur? No, this would have been right around Blu-ray. You're, yeah. I was just, it might have been HD DVD. Uh, 2006 was the year that Blu-ray really made a big, big push okay. anyway. So when this would have come out uh, on home media, which would have been mid-2008, um, one of the big things was, see the controversial alternate ending. It was controversial because uh, they showed it to test audiences, and test audiences hated it. Um, which is kind of dumb because it's a great ending. For those of you not in the know, um, the theatrical ending of, of I Am Legend ends with uh, Will Smith uh, figuring out the cure to this virus, uh, the uh, the KV virus, right? Which is kind of a cool name for a virus. Uh, he, he finds a cure for KV, uh, gives it to Elisa Braga, and sacrifices himself so that her and this little boy Ethan can get away. Um, and that, that's it. He blows himself in a room full of uh, zompires up. Um, and then she drives away, and they find the survivor colony, and she says, this is his legend, which is a fucking stupid last line. And the alternate ending, which was the original cut that was um, scrapped after it didn't test well, um, Will Smith, and this is much more in line uh, with the Robert Matheson novel, um, which the film is based, Robert Neville realizes that the monsters he's been killing are sentient beings. They're not just mindless killing machines. They have feelings and emotions, and they care for one another. Um, so uh, he realizes that the uh, zompires have swarmed his house to try and get back this uh, female that he has been uh, testing his cure on. Surprisingly, they've formed a civilization. Yes. Well, we we don't really quite get that. In the novel, yes, they have a full-on civilization with medicine and um, laws and a ju- judicial system in the novel. In this, um, they, they just are they're thinking and caring sentient beings. Um, they understand reason and logic. I mean, they set traps. And that's that's the thing. We'll get to that in a second. But he, he gives back this female he's been testing on, uh, and then they go away. They let him go. Uh, and him and Ethan and Elisa Braga drive off into the sunset, um, changing the radio message, saying, hey, the three of us are looking for survivors. You're not alone. That is so much more thoughtful and interesting and well-developed of an ending. Uh, it, it really is quite silly how the only reason i can think of them scrapping it and the reason the only reason i can think of it not testing well because it's a happy ending i mean will smith gets away um i guess it's not a happy ending because we don't know the state of the rest of humanity there is no cure in this ending um we realize that these things don't need to be cured they're they don't they do not wish to be cured they have formed a new life for themselves post being infected um the only reason i can see it not testing well is because of how bad the special effects are. And there is a pretty lengthy scene of two of these uh, creatures emoting, um, and it looks bad. I'm, I'm not going to say it doesn't, because it definitely looks pretty shitty. Um, but the emotion of the scene is there. I mean, I, I felt it in, in watching the alternate ending. You're correct, it looks bad, but I am moved every Yeah, time. I am too. Um, yeah. I, I think the alternate ending is great, and I think if the alternate ending was the actual... You know, I, I'm of the school that the theatrical cut is the cut you should talk about before you talk about any other cut. Because that's what was released in theaters. So, yes, I agree that the final cut of Blade Runner is better. But it's not the theatrical cut, and I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that you you got to talk about that one first before you can talk about any of the other cuts. <clears throat> so, uh, 
that's really what holds back I Am Legend for me, because uh, Slavo Žižek, who Dustin talks about a lot in the show, um, a famous philosopher who really, uh, um, most of his philosophy is done through the lens of cultural studies um, and how you can look at a, our culture's content to determine where we stand, ideologically speaking. Also known as the best lens. Yeah, well, I would agree with that, too. Um, he has a great point um, that I, I had come to before I started reading up on what other people had to say about I Am Legend, um, and, and I'm very much inclined to agree with him. Uh, but Zizek basically says the ending that we get for this is just is pushing this fundamentalist religious um, notion that you can force other people to do what you want to do. Uh, he gets a mandate from God that he's going to sacrifice himself in the theatrical ending. Um, now, Zizek goes a different direction than I do with that, but I, I think he, he is right to the extent that the theatrical ending is, is supporting the notion that humanity is the superior and dominant uh, life form on this planet, which, I mean, yeah, we, we dominant does not necessarily mean superior. Um, does not make you better. It just means you are winning. Winning does not make you a good person, I assure you. Um, and, and that's what happens. There is no need to adapt. There is no need to build bridges. There is no need to understand. Um, wiping out is the only thing that we can do. Um, and, and that's what's so troubling about the theatrical ending. Um, because there are hints throughout the film, both the theatrical and the alternate cut. The theatrical cut has a lot of hints uh, if you're watching closely, it, that these things are thinking and caring beings. I mean, they didn't really cut a whole lot from the theatrical version. They mostly just changed the ending. So all the hints that they have thoughts and rationality are still there. And the movie just doesn't do anything with that in the theatrical cut, which is part of what I find so troubling. We have these hints that these creatures are thinking and feeling beings, uh, and instead it just ends with Will Smith grenading them all to death. And, and I, f I find that really troubling because it doesn't push us to consider our actions. It doesn't push us to consider an option other than violence. Uh, it doesn't push us to consider peace. And that's where the theatrical cut of I Am Legend completely falls flat on its face. And I think that's why the alternate cut of the ending shines is because it does force us to consider just because something doesn't speak our language and just because we don't understand the way it behaves doesn't mean it can't be reasoned with and there, there isn't a discussion to be had with it. That's right, dear listener. You need to buy the two-disc special edition if you're going to watch this film at all. Thank you. Well, I mean, I didn't say that. You could just rent it for like $2 on, on iTunes. But right. you got to catch the, the, the alternate ending. The alternate ending is available point. to rent is what I'm saying. Yes, do that. Don't buy it. But do yes, that. do watch the alternate cut. Okay, well, we'll talk about that in Shelf and Trash. All right, Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say in terms of analysis? Okay, so the I, I, I love what Dalton's analysis thought was really great, and, and I actually kind of would have just dovetailed that a little bit. I think it's going to tie into my analysis, which is that loneliness and a lack of companionship lead to uh, perpetuated savior and martyr complexes. So Will Smith and this film were introduced to him. He is by himself. And he has this chip on his shoulder. He has to be the one. Uh, you know, he is convinced that he has to be the guy who saves humanity. Uh, he is, uh, you know, and, and to, some extent, I, I, to some extent, it's hard to blame the guy. I mean, the guy is a freaking military scientist who happens to be part of that really minute, minute group of 1% people who are immune. So he feels like it is his destiny well, to do so. Well, and he's partially, you know, he feels responsible for the death of his family. Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah, so there's a certain understanding there. Uh, so, you know, I, I, but I, what, I wanna, what I wanna talk about is that the fact that not only is, does he have, he carry that weight on his shoulder, he, well, actually, he puts that burden on himself 
before the outbreak. But after the outbreak, when he is the only man left, he puts that burden on himself. And I think this film is criticizing uh, the the savior complex. And uh, a few, I just want to draw a few examples to kind of talk about that. Now, throughout this film, this guy is clearly lonely. I mean, obviously, he's been by himself for years and years and years. Uh, unspecified, I guess. Uh, what, 1,001 days. 1,001 days, exactly. And that's a long time to be around by, by the midpoint of the film. So it's right at three years. He has, all he has is his dog. God bless the man, his dog. Uh, but I want, what I want, what I think is very important to focus on in this movie, if you're going to do some psychoanalysis on on Will Smith's character, is that him being in by himself, he is he creates this very distorted version of reality. And I, Dalton, I think this is a perfect kind of counterpart to your analysis, where you talk about a man not keeping up with his times. He carries this burden for for his responsibility. The death of the human species as we know it. He puts that burden on himself and he carries that into another world. Now, another world that is that does not where human beings or humans are not the the dominant species. Where you have these vampires, zombies, vampires, zombies, whatever you want to call them, are the ones who are predominantly everywhere. And yes, they can't come out during the day, but they take up a, a, they make up a bulk of the population. Now, uh, there are several lines you can read in the film where you're looking at this guy kind of perpetuating this idea of oh man i have to do this by myself i have to do this i'm the only person that can do this um he says uh, i mean dustin your allusion to where he talks to the mannequin and he says please say hello to me uh, you're, you're looking at a man who desperately craves human attention great uh, companionship because i mean who would want to go through this on their own this huge burden he puts on himself but at the same time uh, this further separate, separates him even from other human beings, as we see later in the film, when he actually does encounter other people, he finds way, he creates ways to further separate himself from his own species. And he says things like, we're all dead. You don't know what you're talking about. He is in denial of the reality that he's living in. Um, you know, more lines like, I don't know if I have any friends. I'm not going out there by myself, which he tells to his dogs. Uh, you know, this man is a very lonely figure and he becomes obsessive with finding a cure. He thinks that is his destiny. And I think there's some very, I think very intentionally early on in the film, there are some Jesus Christ-like parallels. This guy is the Christ figure, which is not only as a, a, a religious kind of, uh, trope, but also a caricature that is used over and over and over again in, in literature following Jesus Christ. I mean, ever since you, you know, 1400 BC's English literature. This is a caricature, a savior. And and I think what this film does is it takes that and it critiques it. Because especially if you go with uh, the original ending of the film, which I think Dal- which Dalton just talked about, uh, the end of the film proposes that, oh my God, maybe I'm not supposed to, sh- maybe I'm not supposed to save humanity. Uh, he comes to this, uh, this point in, in the end of the film. After going through all this thing where he studied the cure for a thousand and one days, uh, he figures out that this is a this is a sentient species. They are growing on their own. Maybe I should just let this go. And now, obviously, the theatrical cut fault feeds into the Christ narrative that I have to be the one to save human, the human species, reverting to the whole like, okay, of course we want to get back to how things were. But the the, the truth of the matter is, I think the original cut of the film and the book is saying the world changes. The world is changing, and we need to adapt. And Will Smith in this film does not know how to adapt. He is so fixated on this job. Everything he says feeds into this kind of martyr com- martyr savior complex. I have to do this on my own. Uh, his speech about Bob Marley 
beautiful. But if you go back and look at that, it is a really great scene. It's it's a beautiful scene, a moving scene. He had this idea. It was kind of a virologist idea. Um, he believed that you could cure racism and hate, literally cure it by injecting music and love into people's lives. When they was scheduled to perform at a peace rally, gunmen came to his house and shot him down. Two days later, he walked out on that stage and sang. Somebody asked him why. He said, the people who are trying to make this world worse are not taking a day off. How can I? But if you look at it, it is still feeding in this idea that I'm the only person who can do this for the human species. No one else has. I have to carry this on my own. And it further cuts him off from his own people. He creates this idea that he creates this alternate reality where he has to be the savior. When in reality, the world has moved on. Uh, these zompires or whatever they are, they are developing their own species um, which is why the theatrical cut is very troubling because it says, no, 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 we need to go back to how things were. That's The world was better the way they were, as opposed to the, the, the director, you know, Francis Lawrence's original cut, where he is lying out there, oh, these are real beings. He has this beautiful, beautiful epitome in the alternate cut where he, he looks and he sees the butterfly tattoo on the girl's neck. And, realize, and, and if you've watched the film, there's uh, several scenes in which butterflies are a huge kind of uh, imagery. It's, it's a huge, huge piece of imagery for the film. Well, oh, Anna also has a butterfly tattoo on her neck. She, correct. Yeah, she has a butterfly tattoo on her neck. And so for his daughter's sake, he... Is that just in the theatrical cut? Or, or is that in the alternate that's cut al- as well? That's alternate cut. I only watched the alternate cut this week, but I noticed it again then. That Elisa Braga's character has the correct. tattoo as well. And, okay. I, and I could not confirm whether it's in the theatrical cut or not. Okay. He sees the butterfly tattoo on the now they capture the he captures the zombie who he is curing and is showing signs to actually cure at the end of the film. And he has this brilliant epitome where he where he realizes that his ways are in fact flawed. He is not necessarily the savior. He is not there to bring mankind back. He has lived in this tiny little bubble where he has separated himself from humanity, from the real world, where he is living in this world where he jogs on the treadmill every day. He goes to the video store. He goes to these routines, and he says, I am the only person who can do this. When in reality, the human race has moved on. They have their own camp. Where they have, they're surviving as their own species, and the zombie and the zombie race has moved on. Whatever they're doing, they are evolving and becoming their own thing. And he has this realization in in the original, uh, in the director's cut, uh, the alternate cut, where he says, "Oh my God, I've been really wrong about this." So instead of making the moment of self sacrifice so that the cure can move on and revert to how things are, he says, "I have to lay down." I want the world to go back to how it was. I want my wife back. I want my child back. I want things to be when I was happy. Instead of doing that, he makes the self-sacrificial move to give the girl the, – the girl he was curing and showing signs of cure back to that species because he realizes that they, that they are developing, and that is his, her lover. Uh, so I think it's a I, – I, far more so than blowing himself up with a grenade, I think 
turning her her over to them was a massive move of self-sacrifice and saying the world I live in, this alternate reality I've lived in, this bubble I've created for myself is not right. And in fact, for me to sacrifice this bubble I've lived in for a thousand one days so that the rest of the world can go on is far more Christ-like or self-sacrificial than what we saw in the original cut where he blows himself up. And it's beautiful, and it's it's humbling, and goddamn, I really wish that would have been the original cut because it's it speaks volumes to the world we actually live in because we can't turn back the clock, and we can't make things the way they were. We can only move on and make the what what is existing better. Dustin, what, what do you have to say in terms of analysis? So I'm about to do something I never do. You going to talk about the Bible? I'm going to talk a little about the Bible. I'm going to put my collar back on. You never do this. I never I'm do shocked. this. And I want to talk about how this film is a massive integration of both political philosophy and theological um, acumen in so much as it engages a thing called radical theology. Now, let's begin with the political philosophy first, though. So what we have is the result of late capitalism. This thing opens up with stuff talking about sports and about the economy and the stock markets and all that other kind of stuff. And then it moves on into this capitalist intervention in medicine. And I have to say that although it does not speak to the pharmaceutical um material situation and circumstances around the uh, Krippen, Krippendorf, Krippenstein, Krippenmeister. Gryffindor. Thank you. Welcome to Gryffindor. Um, the sorting hat just sorted you. Krippen virus. Is it Krippen virus? Yes. Okay. So I want to put like an end on that for some reason. But what happens as a result of that is these monsters who are absolutely bent on the consumption of everyone around them. It is a consumer culture. Every time you're looking at a zombie film, you're looking at what happens in late capitalism and how it turns everyone around them into consumers and they will kill everyone to consume more. That being said, now there begins a theological conversation. Will Smith has this great conversation with the character, Anna, in which he talks about how God is dead. There is no God because everyone died. We're dealing with what's called a post-traumatic society at this point, a society in which all hope is lost, all sort of love is lost, all sort of grace is lost. And in this sort of society, what do you do? How do you function? Now we go back to the books of the Bible, specifically the New Testament, in which we have an account in which the Savior dies and all hope is lost. And what Christians do wrongly is focus so much on Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is probably very, very important for Christian theology. That's fine. But our moment in which we exist, our moment in which we live, our moment which the book of Acts does so much more effort to reprise is the moment of Holy Saturday in which Elvis, I'm sorry, Jesus leaves the building. That we live in a moment where everything is lost and now we are on our own. Will Smith and I Am Legend is a man by himself in a world full of consumer capitalist consumption and he does not know how to function in such a world as a secluded and isolated individual. He creates a society amongst mannequins and so he's wondering why Fred is where he is. The zombies, zompires, use Fred as sort of a trap for him. But he's speaking to them in the video store. Why? Because this man desperately desires a community. Because what happens after the crucifixion of Jesus, what happens after the ascension of Jesus, is the formation of a community. 
Man, this guy sounds so Jeremiah Dustin. I never thought about that. Wow. Oh, um, it's 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 crazy town how close this is, and, and of course this is dealing with uh, another theological concept that was picked up by the French secular existentialism existentialists of the absurd, in which life doesn't make a whole lot of sense, in which life is full of these atrocities that happen. The reason why the French existentialists came up with the concept of the absurd is because the Germans rolled into Paris and started putting all their friends and neighbors into concentration camps. Like, this does not make any sense whatsoever. And I would also just want to point out the... um, Well, 30 years after Germans killed half of their uh, young men. Correct. And the um, visual optics of zombies and Holocaust survivors, I just want to point this out, this has always been in the zeitgeist of this particular genre of filmmaking. And so how do you deal with the existence of God in a situation like this? And the way you deal with it is the way in which John Caputo and other radical theologians have done, in which God dies on Good Friday, and what happens after that point is the formation of a community animated by a spirit of love. Now I'm, now I'm bringing in Slavoj Žižek again. And the formation of this community of people, what Will Smith needs so desperately is people. When people show up, he doesn't know quite how to deal with it. But what also ends up happening is that he leaves with Anna and the young man, I forget his name. Ethan. Ethan. And they move their way into a community of people which is oriented around the locale of a church, very uh, reminiscent of Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night. I'm just saying. I mean, we're yeah, I'm going to assume they... I mean, we don't see that in the alternate cut. We just see them driving away. We only see that community in the theatrical cut. But I'm going to go ahead and assume that's where they're going. Correct. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I assume as far as analysis goes, you can use both cuts interchangeably. I, I agree. And what ends up happening is all you can do in the face of capitalist dehumanization, which is exactly what Will Smith does to the zompires. He dehumanizes them, and he himself has been dehumanized, is that you can form a community based on love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, in which you work with other people. You forgive them for eating your bacon. What? (laughs) Never. Never. You um, forgive Will Smith for being sort of a weirdo. Oh, maybe. Maybe. And then you try to strike out and form a community of love and grace working together with other human beings. The only way that you can exist in the the world of late capitalism is not by being a single, solitary rebel, not by being a single, solitary revolutionary, but the only way you can do that is through communities of difference, by saying, no, there is another way, and we will form our own life, and we will do something different, and... In the case of capitalism, which is sort of like different than what the situation in when we we're zompires and dealing with you know viruses and cures and zombies and genre fiction and all that stuff, is perhaps bring other people to a better way of living. And in so far as this film is dialoguing with those conversations, this is exactly what human beings need to do. Whether or not they engage in the religious context or not is the only way you're going to make the world better is by forming communities of people who live different. Very well said, Dustin. I think uh, the film speaks directly to your point. The uh, you know she's telling him that uh, God told her where to find him, uh, and he has his, his speech about how God has definitely left the building. And and what's beautiful about the film is they're both right. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. God is dead, and he's speaking. Mm-hmm. And I I think that is and he's speaking in the formation of community, and so. 
Again, I will remove my color at this point. I hope I've not to offended anybody in the listening audience, but that is my understanding of the proper um, posture and positioning of human beings in the 21st century. Moving right along, dear listener, we hope you loved our analysis. We hope you didn't hate it, but if you did, we'd love to give you an opportunity to give us feedback and talk about that a little bit more. Um, but before we get to talking more about that, we need to take a moment, just a brief break, and hear a word from our sponsors. Good Trash Genrecast is brought to you in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Have you ever found yourself yearning for the glorious moments of your past? I know I have, but we can't offer that to you. But we can give you the next best thing. The Beginner's Guide to Loneliness, a collection of the most shared, viewed, and favorited articles from SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. The Beginner's Guide to Loneliness is available over at Amazon.com. Pick up your copy today. We are ever so appreciative of our sponsorship from Sad Men from Lonely Women. We're also so appreciative of sponsorship from viewers and listeners like you via Patreon. Go to the GoodTrashMedia.com website to find out more about all of that. We now come to a point in the show where we must render a verdict. And we must put this film on the shelf or in the trash. And I'm so excited to hear what everybody's got to say about all of that. I'm going to go to you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say? Shelf or trash? And what is your else or your instead? I am going to say shelf it because I think it does some interesting things. I think it is one of Will Smith's stronger films uh, in a variety of ways. And also it's a really fun uh, project for a class to do compare and contrast uh, because the novel's a real easy read. Um, clocking in around 99 to 150 pages somewhere, depending and on the version a, you pick up. And there's a really fantastic graphic novel adaptation. Yeah, uh, and so it's it's a really fun little exercise. So for all those reasons, I say shelf it. Um, I would pair this with Castaway. I think pairs really well uh, there, as well as pairing it with The Martian uh, from 2015. I think both of those work very well with I Am Legend. Brilliant, and you cheated by going first, sir, because I think you stole some picks from other folk. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Shelf or trash, and what is your else or your instead? Yeah, I got I got to trash this one, guys. Um, I don't I don't hate the movie by any means. I want to make that clear. Uh, I definitely don't like it as much as Dustin does. Uh, instead, I would also recommend you check out The Martian, um, and I would also recommend you check out Locke, um, the film starring Tom Hardy, directed by... Um, Stephen S. Knight, uh, D. Knight, I always forget his name, um, from 2015. It's or, Q. It's not Q. Um, <laughs> from 2014, um, which is just uh, Tom Hardy driving in a car. Um, kind of similar to uh, Caleb's star vehicle pick for Buried. Um, again, it's just one actor in one location, um, very confined, and I think it does a lot of that same stuff better. Same with Martian. I think it, it has the, the humor and the levity and the life or death stakes. Um, that I Am Legend does with a much more levity. Um, and um, as far as uh, vampire apocalypses go, you should definitely check out Stake Land instead because mm-hmm. it's a way better vampire apocalypse movie that I think uh, deals with a lot of the same issues. And uh, we've talked about it on the show before. If you want to hear more about all of our thoughts on that, you can go check out that episode from this past October. Um, finally, my probably my favorite apocalypse movie the last few years, uh, The Rover. Um, from What's His Doodle, whose name I can never remember because it's hard to pronounce, the guy that directed uh, Animal Kingdom, uh, starring Guy Pierce. Um, really great movie, uh, also featuring a dog, um, and a movie that I know Dustin likes quite a bit as well. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you think of William T. Nelson Smith in I Am Legend? Ah, oh, fine. Fine. I'll shelf it. I'll shelf it. It's 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 a decent movie. It's not a great movie. My man. It's Thank you great, for that. It's not a great movie, but man, Will Smith is so good. Uh, you know, else, I think, you know, if you want to go ahead and look at other single actor films, you know, a movie that no one caught that was really fantastic that literally had like five lines. All is Lost, starring Robert Redford. Fantastic. A man on a boat as it's sinking for an hour and a half. The guy literally says five lines, one of them being, fuck. Yeah. Um, go catch that movie. I think you also go catch Gravity, starring Sandra Bullock, uh, because she does have other interactions with other people, even though it's inside her head most of the time. Um, and then I think you also look at 127 Hours, starring James Franco, another fantastic film. Oh, man, I forgot about that movie. I, it, it's, it's kind of criminal. That, that movie does get forgotten pretty regular. Yeah, I, it's it's a good flick, too. It, it really is, uh, about a man stranded and, and, and beating nature and trying to figure things out on his own while also relying on... Man, there's a lot of people stranded movies. There are a lot of people Jesus. stranded movies. Uh, and lastly, I want to give a shout-out. Uh, going along with my analysis, uh, I think you watch Her, starring uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix. If you want to look Good at a pick. film that deals with, with solitude and loneliness and kind of building your own reality based on your experience, I think you definitely took at that. That is, that is one of the most moving films of 2013. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. What I'm going to say is absolutely shelf it. This movie is a movie that's smarter than it means to be. It's brilliant in so many ways, somewhat by accident. And I think it's definitely worth your time, and it's definitely worth the conversation, because films are so much more than a bucket of popcorn in 90 minutes. The conversation makes it worthwhile, and this film is definitely one of the examples thereof. Another film that you might have the similar sort of conversation, especially about the presence of God in the midst of suffering, might be Ang Lee's Life of Pi. Oh my god, that movie is fantastic. And I think it's an gr- interesting dialogue with this particular film. Yes. And so I think you need to watch that. Also, I think you need to take a, take a look at the first season of The Walking Dead. And then perhaps by coming out next month or in two months, check out Dead Television, colon, Media Studies in the Walking Dead, which in which I contribute a chapter about the Walking Dead and theology, in which I say some similar things that I said tonight. You shameless whore. I am just that. How um, dare you? It's available on pre-order from Amazon.com. How dare you? <laughs> And I get nothing from all of this. But nonetheless, um, if you're interested in what I'm thinking about that, you can check that all out there. Thank you so much. Dear listener, you want, we want to hear what you got to say. We want to hear what feedback you might have. And you can do that via some magical means that we all know as social media. Arthur, where's one of those places? Uh, yeah, you could check us out on Facebook. Uh, keep up with the Good Trash Media Network and our show, Good Trash Genrecast, on facebook.com forward slash Good Trash Media. And we would love to hear from you. Thank you very much. What's the other one, Dalton Stewart? You can find Good Trash Media on Twitter at good underscore trash. You can talk to us there about the Good Trash Genrecast, about Back to the Movies, uh, about um, the cast who knew too much about the film syllabus, uh, and finally uh, about our newest show uh, that I'm happy to announce, which will be coming out in just a couple of weeks, uh, The People's History of Film. 
which is going to be an interview show hosted by me, where I talk to people I find interesting about their personal history with film. Uh, you can look forward to our very first interview on February the 10th with uh, Nick Sanford, uh, director of the upcoming uh, indie film The Harvesters. Um, so yeah, check that out. Um, and again, any show you want to talk to us about, you can do that on Twitter at good underscore trash. Yes, we love Sick Nanford and all the things that he does. You can also find uh, all the hosts on Letterboxd if you want to keep up with what we're watching and what we think about what we're watching. Just go to letterboxd.com. That's letter boxd.com and you can just search any one of our uh, hosts names uh, and you can keep up with us uh, how many movies we've watched for the year because the competition continues I'm beating you motherfuckers except for Dustin yeah you guys have pulled way so what you mean to say is you're not winning I like movies and I like talking to you all dear listener and you can do that all via the means that we've already discussed so far also you can find the great hub of all the things at goodtrashmedia.com in which you can find links to all of those various social media means and other places in which you can have conversation with us and also the brilliant articles written by your co-hosts and also guest writers so do check that out now next week I get a host pick and there's a particular game that I like Oh god! What game? What game are we talking, Dawson? I like to play golf. Fuck. Golf? I do like to play you golf. Like golf? God, the damn most boring it. sport to watch on TV Son ever. Son of a bitch! And it's Fresh Prince February, and we're gonna look at the legend of Bagger Vance. Son of a bitch! Bagger I, Vance! Oh my god! I am excited about this. This there is the are, movie where uh, Will W. Smith teaches uh, Matt Damon to play golf, right? This is also the movie in which Will Q. Smith becomes the Magic Negro. Whoa! And we have to talk about that. I'm, I'm way more interested in that all of a sudden. <sighs> I don't want to watch this movie. Also, he might be Jesus again. Just saying. Son of a bitch. How many times is Will Smith going to be Jesus? I need to know. Well, more probably. <laughs> I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to make a list, but I think he's done it a couple times at this I'm, point. I'm going to go with more times. Um, there you go, dear listener. Take a look at that, and take a look at any movie and have a conversation because the movies are so much more than 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. There's so much more fun to be had, and the fun to be had is in the conversation. So keep on talking, and we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandro Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genrecast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com. <laughs> God damn it. Get together, you two. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying. No. Arthur's not making it easier, okay? He's like... <laughs> Don't you dare ask. No, don't, don't you do that. I saw what you did there, Dar- Dar- uh, yeah, Arthur, whatever. I'm Arthur. That's Dalton. <laughs> That's Dustin. This is Dustin. I know, I know. You're I know. Caleb. I am? And this and is... And who's on first? Shit. The good Damn trash, Johnny. Okay. <laughs>